Welcome to Can You Hold My Attention? I'm your host, Eric Bruton. Thank you for tuning into my podcast today. On this show, I invite some of the most important and exciting leaders in wealth management and fintech to discuss and debate the latest trends and hottest topics facing financial advisors today. So why should you listen to this show? Well, my goal is for you to learn one or two ideas that will help you run a better business and or become a stronger leader. These shows have been a blast to do, mostly because of the great guests and the interesting conversations we've had. You can follow Can You Hold My Attention on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. Aaron Klein is the founder and CEO of Riskalyze. In 2011, he and his partners set out on a mission to remove the fear Americans have in the investing of their hard-earned savings and then inject data into the decision-making process. Ten years later, Riskalyze serves hundreds of thousands of customers through their financial advisor partners, driving complexity out of the investment management process and enabling advisors to focus on the growth of their businesses. Aaron is a bright young leader who has not only captured the attention of advisors, but also recently of a private equity partner who has injected loads of growth capital into the business. So what does this mean for the advisors and for their clients? How will Riskalyze adapt during this period of fast and furious digital transformation? Well, I don't know. Chances are you don't know. So I thought I'd bring the guy onto the show who stays awake into the wee hours of the night thinking about all this. Aaron, welcome to Can You Hold My Attention? Good to have you on the show. Man, so great to be with you, Derek. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a while since we've seen each other in person, but that doesn't say much these days, right? <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. But hey, 2022 is the year we're definitely going to make that happen, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, many of you may not know, but Riskalyze is located in their headquarters anyways in Auburn, California, uh, which is about, what, Aaron, about a half an hour northeast of Sacramento. Is that, yeah, is that about right? right? Yeah, towards Lake Tahoe. Exactly okay. right. And, and Auburn's a lot like my hometown, which is Gilroy, California. You know, I right. think maybe 15,000 people. Gilroy's a bit bigger than that now, but uh, uh, but wonderful little town that you pass through to get to the North Shore of Lake Tahoe. Been through it many, many times. And a lot of you may not know, it's also known for its rich California gold rush history. It's true. Um, which is really cool, which is really cool. And my hometown is known for, it's the garlic capital of the world, and it's known for inventing garlic ice cream and perfume called garlic, <laughs> which has not surprisingly experienced poor sales over the years. And Auburn is known as a destination for people that travel from all over the U.S. and the world to strike it rich panning for gold. So I kind of like your history there, Aaron. <laughs> well, and and the history of Auburn as a town was definitely, I mean, the whole economy was around selling like gold pans and picks to miners, right? Right. And so um, it, uh, it it's definitely, yeah, it's, it's a great history. It's a great little town. And one of our favorite restaurants, which sadly has not reopened yet, but one of our favorite restaurants actually has a private room in the back, which is the oldest structure 
in Auburn. Oh, uh, wow. And, and it, it's just, it's one of the, you know, supposedly a little general store was run out of it, uh, you know, for miners back in the day. Yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great place to be from. And people have asked me before, why'd you start a technology company in Auburn? And I said, because I lived here. Like, I didn't know any better place to start it. You know, how about yeah. that? Yeah, why not? And uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you get the questions about how you attract talent to Auburn, and and but you are close to Sacramento, and it's a wonderful place to to fly in and out of, and and so you know I, I don't see that as a deterrent. That was that was absolutely the case where um, you know we we were we were attracting talent up from Sacramento. We were, you know, there's Nevada County north of here has quite the engineering subculture. A few companies started up there. Those folks would commute down. So it was kind of a nice like central location. Now, you know, Derek, it's like we're 200 decentralized coins on the blockchain, right? So right. We're, we're, we're with the, with the changes in our world over the last, you know, nearly two years, you know, there's, we're, we're, we have a building here in Auburn built for 185 people and we're subleasing parts of it because we've got 25 or 30 of them still using, you know, the office space. Sure. And the rest of our people are spread out across the country and, uh, you know, increasingly uh, in, in, even in some other countries now. Right. Well, and, and I've been to your headquarters and yeah. you know, one of the things I want to get into is just, you know, your your service that you guys provide there at Risk Alize. And I've seen the call center and the approach and I've heard the people on the phones. It, it's it's really amazing. But what I thought we'd do is kind of start at 30,000 feet sure. and get, you know, get your perspectives on the wealth management industry and some of the crazy trends out there right now that yeah. you well know about. And then we'll dive down to uh, Riskalyze HQ level, which is about 1,300 feet above sea level, <laughs> and uh, and get an update on what's going on at Riskalyze and how you're changing lives there. Uh, but then I'm going to ask you, since you know by then I know you will have earned the attention of me and all my listeners, I'm going to ask you to be our honorary mentor for the day and oh, provide wow. some advice to entrepreneurs out there who are currently a far cry away from the success you've all achieved, you and your team have achieved at Riskalyze, but they're working hard to get there to where you are. Sure. And, and so I might ask you for a few tidbits of advice okay. to give to our audience. Sounds good. All right. So let's talk about the trends in the industry. I mean, what do you see are kind of the two most significant trends that will define or reshape our industry over the next five years? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I, I And the two things that kind of come to mind immediately are actually kind of two sides of the same coin. Because on the one hand, I really believe that technology will continue to transform how we work, how we communicate, um, just how we how we do practically everything. And, it, you know, I, some have said that we we did something like a decade of innovation in digital last year. Right. right, right. Uh, with, with the with the pandemic and all the impacts that the pandemic has had. Um, so I, 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 there's no doubt that like the pace of technological change and, and the, just the transformation of how we work, uh, continues to accelerate. And that's going to have some very broad impacts on our industry because it changes how advisors, you know, interact with clients and it right. changes how they engage with clients in some, in some pretty critical ways. But, you know, the, the, the other side of that coin too, is that, um, I really believe that winning technology will have great design and great design is de from my perspective is design that um, that really allows the technology to fade into the background so that the brilliance of the advisor's work can shine through. 
you know, I, I, I've seen so many times, you know, e even in our profession where we just want to equip people with whiz bang gadgets, um, you know, kind of like technology for the sake of technology. And I think it's so critical for us all to keep in mind that like technology is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. And if we're if we're just making the advisor look like George Jetson, like that's not actually accomplishing a whole lot. If we can actually let the tech fade into the background so that the brilliance of that advisor's work can shine through, we actually can give that advisor a better opportunity to really change the client's mindset. And that, after all, is what financial advisors are all about, is changing the client's mindset, helping them make good short-term decisions that are going to ultimately support and be able to be turned into a great long-term financial outcome. Well, you know, I, I think that's that that is very interesting, and you see it maybe some parallels in other other businesses uh, where you know the technology has enabled somebody to be somebody to be better what they're at, and for that person to shine in front of their clients, in front of their guests. I mean, I, I think one great example if you if you use it at your home is Sonos uh, sound system, Sonos technology, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean. When you when I use it in my house, people are talking about my playlist. They're talking about the clarity of the music. They're talking about all those things. They're not talking about the technology, which is making me presumably look better. Right. Um, and and that's I think what you're talking about in, in, with Riskalyze as well. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's a great analogy, and it's it's just it. It, it that's such a, a great example with Sonos because it really does kind of fade into the background. You're talking about the music. You're talking about what's actually coming out of the speakers, not about the speakers themselves. There, what we're also seeing out there is a lot of consolidation in this business. Sure. Uh, on the fintech side, you've, you've yep. uh, experienced some some of that on your with your business as well. Sure, um, we've seen it within the RIA space, within the financial advisor space. How does how does how do you guys benefit. Let's first talk about the industry. What are the benefits to the industry of all this consolidation? Yeah, I mean, when I look back or when I look out at, at, at kind of the broad industry at, at what's happening with consolidation, it just strikes me that it's a, a bit of, and I don't, I don't mean to sound blasé, like it is, it is accelerating to some extent right now. But I do kind of look at this as, as like broad cycles that the marketplace goes through. And I do feel like it's kind of the circle of life. Like, you, you have, you know, great wealth management businesses that are joining up with other great wealth management businesses. Hopefully we are expanding the overall impact that wealth management is having on clients. But you tend to always see like the cycle turnaround where businesses that are consolidated and getting bigger. At some point, some of the financial advisors just like yearn for independence and they end up breaking away and, and starting new firms. And then, you know, fast forward five or 10 years and those firms may be getting consolidated again. Right. And, and it's, right. and I think, you know, at the end of the day, what's really interesting from my perspective is just the, the broader impact that it, that it has on the consumer, on the investor, as long as consolidation is driving a, a, a better experience for the investor, and as long as consolidation is driving, um, you know, maybe it's maybe it's better access to different investment solutions, better access to technology, better access to to a better experience. I think it can be a positive thing. Um, but you know, it's always interesting to see. You can tell a bit, you know, a consolidation that has worked versus one that has not worked when you see what's going on with the assets, what's going on with the investors two, three years right. of that consolidation. That speaks volumes. 
Yeah, and I, I, I honestly think we don't know what that impact's going to be yet because of the rash of consolidation we've seen just over the last 12 months. I think it's a good point. You know, somebody's going to write a book about the three-year-out aspect or three-year-out impact of right. this consolidation on exactly what you just talked about, the consumers. How, right. is the, how are these firms culturally going to handle change and how that's going to impact the consumers? Is technology actually going to get better or is it going to get a lot more complex before it gets better for right. these people? Um, there's a lot to, you know, and, and people forget their people behind this, not just the, the, the managing principals and the owners of these firms, yeah. but the people that are going to be doing the work behind the scenes over the next yeah. years to bring things together. And again, that impact on the consumer. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one of the things that can be a um, positive, can be a negative, um, is that consolidation can put a lot of pressure on the need for growth in these businesses. You know, that has been to some extent a positive driver for us because Risklice has proven to be one of, you know, the most powerful growth drivers that a, that a wealth management business can engage. Um, but, you know, that can be, you know, again, there's a healthy level of growth that, that some of these businesses can handle and consolidation can help them accelerate that and accelerate the growth of these businesses. And that can be good for consumers. Um, it can also, if, 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 if wealth management businesses just become all about growth and, and, and don't do a good job of serving clients and you're not growing, for example, through referrals of satisfied, happy clients who are thrilled about the impact that you're right. making on them, that can be not so positive for those consumers. So that's the, the good news is, is the market tends to sort those things out. And, um, you know, I think it's really interesting to me to see what's going to happen. We have some really great. Um, you know, and you and I have both watched it. We have, you know, some really great RIA CEOs out there who have been, um, you know, rolling up some of these businesses and consolidating them in interesting ways. And they're not, you know, they're not get rich quick entrepreneurs. They're people who are trying to build real long term value by delivering really great client experiences. And it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. Well, you mentioned client client referrals. I mean, they're in and of itself. If these if this consolidation and these these amalgamations of, of advisory firms don't come together in a way where the consumer doesn't feel great about referring Mrs. Smith down the street or a friend or whatever it is. I mean, client referrals have been at the heart of advisor growth plans for decades. That's right. If that, if, if that suffers, it'll be interesting to see those growth plans and how they, and maybe it, maybe it, it, will, it will make the CEOs more reliant on on inorganic growth and, and more acquisitions if they can't get the organic growth. Yeah, I that that's that's always a risk there. And um, I, I will just say what's fascinating is that it depends on who your investor is, but most of the investors who are willing to fund this kind of inorganic growth um, really want to uh, see uh, the result be good organic growth after the deal, right? Yeah. And so you know that is a that is a game where the music stops very quickly if you aren't able to figure out how to drive organic growth and turn you know 1 plus 1 equal you know into 3 uh, if you're if you're just consistently adding 1 plus 1 and getting 1.8 uh, that's not something that continues to happen typically yeah well let's let's talk about a little company in auburn that i think is uh, absolutely nailed this well thank uh, you because you know we can talk all we want about riskalyze being a risk management tool and all that but i've always thought and i'm and it'll take a lot for you to convince me, Aaron. Otherwise, that it, that Riskalyze is just is is not ju is just a great power tool for advisor growth, mm. and that that technology 
when used properly by advisors, can expand uh, growth potential well beyond a client referral. And uh, But look, I know there's a, a lot of great algorithms, a lot of smart people behind the technology there. But you know, I think it is a great tool for advisors to use to help them grow their businesses over time. Uh, but you know, you're the expert. You tell me. Do you agree? No, I, I, I. That's right. And thank you, thank you for saying it. I appreciate it. I, I think that's a hundred percent right. But I do think that the key was understanding the advisor's motivation to get there, right? And and I think that um, you know, for us, we saw a couple of things. First of all, you know, advisors were typically hiring us for the job of engaging with their clients. And, you know, they were hiring different tools to do that before. One could argue, for example, that they would take a tool like Morningstar that was more of an investment research analytics tool, and they were trying to use that to engage with clients. And that was, you know, that had a mixed record for them of of being really good at client engagement. Um, You know, some people tried to use financial planning tools to engage with clients. That was, you know, that was particularly challenging. Financial planning tools are very powerful, very helpful. But they can be particularly challenging when you're trying to use them to actually engage with clients. And so we, you know, one of the things that we really felt um, where the industry was underserved was around the concept of risk. But I think what what turned out to be um, so powerful for us was that we we really did build a client engagement solution that said risk should be the center of how you engage with clients. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's the real, you know, Ben, I think a, a big part of the engine of our success there. Well, um, and the simplicity of the way you brought that to not just the advisor, but also the underlying client. I mean, I look at our business right now and it's one of very, very dense complexity. Yes. Where the smartest of advisors out there struggle with, you know, they get the Michael Kitsis technology map and their head starts spinning <laughs> and they're thinking, what do I use? How do I integrate it? All of this, I'll forget it. I'm going to go play golf on Friday. Yeah. And I feel like Riskalyze has brought simplicity to a very complex topic. I've seen some of your competitors talk about how their algorithms are different and how their technology is different, but nobody's really brought it to a simple form of communication. I think that's where you're ringing the bell. Well, you know, the the iPhone that you and I have in our pockets is one of the most simple devices that you can interact with. You you use, you know, as Steve Jobs famously said, um, you know, the pointing device is one that we're all born with, right? Our our, our finger, right. we 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 can't lose it. Um, it's uh, it's it's pretty easy to find, and you know, the 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 way that those interactions work, um, it's just very seamless, very intuitive, very easy. And yet, when you go beneath the surface, the iPhone is one of the most complex things ever manufactured. I mean, you're mm-hmm. you're you're literally talking about a supercomputer in your pocket right. that you know has you know the ability to transmit data at massively high speeds over radio waves. Like like this is a pretty like like phenomenally complex piece right. of, of equipment in our pockets. And yet it is one of the easiest things that we'll ever use. I mean, you, you know, you, you and I, like people our parents' age can use them uh, and do on a regular basis. And so I, I really think that that has been a big part. And, and that goes back to what I was saying about design, right? Like, I think that if you build technology in a way that is really usable for people, um, that, that is, um, that's been a key skill for us um, to, to really understand how to take all of that complexity 
and not not say complexity doesn't matter. Just say we've got to build it in a package that is really simple and easy for advisors to use. And you nailed it for their clients to understand. Because if it's if you're gonna if you're gonna be doing something in the in the in the realm of client engagement, the clients have to get it too. It can't just be the financial advisors. Yeah, I, I've heard some advisors over time. They you know they've they've got great presentations for their clients. But they just shoot way over their head, and they mm-hmm. they don't quite understand why they didn't get the sale. And well, uh, some of them actually think that that that's a good idea. That's mm-hmm. what I think is is interesting. Like we've never done well with financial advisors who will say who who believe that like their value comes from making things complex for their clients. Yeah, those advisors don't actually they're they're not great riskalyze users because they they're like ah eh, it's it's too simple I need to make this complex and hard for my clients to understand then they'll value me, and I think that frankly, what we've seen is it's the financial advisors who understand that their value doesn't come from trying to shoot over their clients' heads their value comes from making it understandable for their client and then their client going I love this you're going to manage it for me yeah. That's the value that a financial advisor is delivering. And when they understand that, it is golden. Well, and I think particularly you, you, I talk to a lot of advisors these days. You ask them how their business is doing. They're saying, yeah, my assets are up 30 40%. Right. Most conversations stop there. You drill down a little bit further. Okay, well, how many accounts and new assets have you right. added? Because, the, right. you know, the market's up about it's 30 up 40%, right? Too, exactly and, and so I look at, I often think, you know, Riskalyze of, of all companies could benefit from a turnaround in the market, a correction of some sort, because advisors will want to, and I saw this in 2008 and 09, you saw it, will want to refocus on true growth, which right. is adding new accounts and new assets. And if they have a tool where they can go out and a technology, they can, they themselves understand it and get it and can pro- provide that understanding to clients. It's a great time, wouldn't you, wouldn't you think? Yeah, no, totally. And we saw that during the pandemic. You know, there were a relatively small, first of all, you know, every subscription software business has a cancellation rate with advisors who are changing affiliation or retiring or, you know, or, or moving on in some way or, or just changing how they're thinking about technology. Our cancellation rate dropped by 20% the day that the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think a big part of that was advisors going, I need a better way to talk about risk with my clients. I think for a lot of advisors, they were going, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to grow out of this pandemic. Yeah. A little did we know that, you know, 60 days later, the market would cross its own line, right? And, right. and keep going up. But like, I think a lot of advisors were thinking, I'm going to have to grow out of this pandemic and I need, I need, you know, a better way to talk about risk with the clients I have, but I also need a way to grow new clients, um, you know, by, by engaging them in this way. There's just no, you know, the other thing that we saw is there were a small number of advisors who, um, you know, were really in some deep financial distress. Like they were not prepared to handle the revenue downturn that hit them as soon as, you know, the pandemic hit. And those advisors who called us in financial distress, you know, we we did our best to kind of kind of help them out, maybe extend their contracts and pause their billing. And in all those cases, we came back to them and said, you know, we're pausing your bill. We paused your billing for, for, you know, 60 days or 90 days or whatever it was. 
we're going to go ahead and flip your service back on because we want to stand behind you and help you grow out of this. That's what you're going to need to do is you're going to yeah. need to grow out of this pandemic. I, I, I'd like to think we made some friends for life in that way, helping out some advisors who were struggling through tough times. And, you know, the markets bounced back fast enough that hopefully most of them came out of that um, without financial distress and hopefully, you know, even more successful in their firms of practices. Well, and hopefully they took two to three months to refocus on, That's right. on those important steps of building a business. And That's right. And, uh, and yeah, you, you build friends for a lifetime if, if they remember during those three months who were their allies and stood by them. So smart, yeah. smart strategic move on your part. Um, how do you see risk changing in the next two years? And how do you see you yourself creating that change? Yeah, well, we're, you know, we're just going to make massive investments in growth. Many of those will be organic. You know, we're going to invest in new products, new capabilities. We've got a lot of cool things that we're working on. Um, you know, nothing that I can that I can announce here right now, this moment, but like just I, I, I try to spend a lot of my time three, four, five, six quarters into the future thinking about what we're going to deliver, uh, you know, to advisors in the future and, and new products and new capabilities. And we're going to invest millions of dollars in, in R&D on, on new products and new capabilities um, this year. You know, many of them will be inorganic. I think we might do a few targeted acquisitions. With the recent recapitalization we did, you know, with HG, um, our, our new equity partner, We've got a growth-oriented partner who is primed and ready to help us drive major investments in growth for the advisors that we serve. So um, for us, it's going to be, I think, a really interesting, exciting, probably a little bit exhausting, but ultimately exhilarating journey over the next you know, uh, decade of our existence because we've just got a lot of exciting things that I think we can deliver for advisors. Well, I think there's a lot of companies out there, too, that struggle with capital, struggle with leadership, whatever it have, whatever they have, but they have good innovative ideas at their core um, that dance around or perhaps are square in the middle of this topic of organic growth. And, you know, and I look at just looking at, at the industry again from 30,000 feet, I mean, the, the inorganic growth concept is, is becoming very expensive. To, to many firms and recruiting, adding new advisors to your organization can also be a, uh, an expensive um, in, endeavor. Whereas organic growth, if you dial it in, you get the right people going, you have the right technology, it can be quite inexpensive to find, especially with social media and other ways to market. And right. so if you, can, if you can grow and find other companies and strategic acquisitions that make sense, that even enhance Riskalyze's efforts there, that, I think that's great for you. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. And we're, we're going to be very careful with acquisitions. You know, I think that um, uh, I have seen some, you know, where I've seen acquisitions go wrong is frankly when, um, you know, the acquirer is not paying really close attention to what they're acquiring. And for us, you know, you have to, you have to first and foremost go, um, you know, what is the culture of this firm that we're acquiring? What is the quality of the people? Um, are, are, are they compatible, you know, with our culture and our people? Because we've got a very strong culture and it, it believes in some things. And so if there's, you know, dissonance there, like that's not going to work. And then what's the quality of the technology? You know, we're, we're not superhuman. We can't take bad technology and just sprinkle some riskalized pixie dust on it and make a good technology, right? right. So, so how, how do we find those opportunities where, 
you know, as we talked about before, one plus one actually equals three. And I think, you know, if we find some opportunities like that, we'll take advantage of them on behalf of the advisors we love to serve. And I think that'll be great, not just for our business, for but but for the advisors that uh, that we're so passionate about serving. Well, and speaking of serving, I mentioned this earlier and uh, taking a, a brief tour of your your headquarters up in Auburn and, you know, seeing the, the floor and the kind of the process that you've laid out for client service. Sure. You've mentioned it before. It's core to your company's success. Um, but but maybe give our listeners a few examples of how you deliver exceptional success and maybe an example of something that you do that no other firm is doing to the best of your knowledge. Yeah, that's that's a great um, a great point. I mean, I don't know that no other firm is doing this, but we do really believe in in having a learning culture and training. You know, I remember, I believe it was, uh, I can't remember. Uh, there there was a story about like a CFO and a CEO talking to each other, and the CFO said, "Oh my gosh, like what if we pay to train all these people and then they just leave?" And the CEO said, "Oh my gosh, what if we don't and they stay?" You know, and so, um, right. you know, you 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 you've got to prepare and and uh, and 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 make sure that that your people are equipped uh, to provide good service. And, and we're we're not perfect there, but we work really hard at it. But there's a couple of things that I think about. You know, I, 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 it's a great question. I mean, one of the things I would say is I feel like, and we're five, six, seven years now. We we pioneered to the best of my knowledge, doing live chat in our product um, to do support. And advisors loved it. They're like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, it's got like the 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 ability to like really quickly go back and forth with someone like the telephone, but I don't have to sit on hold and I don't have to, you know, tie myself up completely, you know, if I'm dealing with some other things. Um, so live chat has been absolutely an explosive growth support medium. And some might say, well, you end up with a lot more support requests from your customers. And I go, great. We yeah. love engaging with They're our customers. With them, yeah. We love working with advisors. So, you know, we want to be in sync with them. We want to make sure that we solve their problems. You know, one of the things we created not not too long ago, year or two, three years ago, we created this thing called the Customer Delight Program. And basically, it just um, authorized like every single person in Riskalyze can, without needing to go get permission, they can spend a hundred bucks uh, on, you know, just bringing a moment of delight into a financial advisor's day, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and maybe that's a bad a service, you know, service experience went bad. They just want to redeem the situation. Maybe, maybe they just, you know, one time we had an advisor just, you know, um, tell, tell us about, you know, uh, their wife was going through a cancer diagnosis or their, or their, you know, parent had just passed away or something like that. And, you know, just having the opportunity for every one of our riskalizers to just be humans and like reach out and connect with somebody and bring a moment of delight into their day, um, you know, I think has been really great. The other thing that strikes me is we invested in creating a product experience team. Um, This is a team of software engineers. And literally what we do, that team is not allowed to work on building new features or new capabilities. All they do is study all of our service requests and 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 say how do we prevent this from becoming a problem in the first place how do we how do we kind of sand off this rough edge or make this part of yeah. the platform easier to understand so that this customer never would have gotten confused or or, or needed yeah. to ask for help in the first place so not putting a kind of looking at the root of the problem versus putting a Band-Aid on the problem. That's right. And not that we don't want to hear from advisors. We just want to hear from them about new problems they're having, and then we'll figure out how to solve those as well. So you're, the platform's ever evolving. And do you share yep. these, the, 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 the challenge or the problem that came up in the fix? Do you share that quite often with, with your clients? 
You know, I we should probably do that more often, frankly. I don't know that we have. We 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 have this team, the product experience team, PX team as we call them internally. And, and they're constantly working on solving those issues. We actually had um, a, a little bit of vacancy on that team as engineers were moving around to different teams. And so we were hiring new engineers onto that team. And uh, so the team just kind of reformed with new engineers on it. And, uh, you know, they were they were very proud to ship their first two set of platform improvements. And, you know, I just saw that on Slack this morning, uh, them talking about, you know, their first two set of platform improvements that the newly reformed team has uh, has tackled. Uh, we need to do more to go out there and talk about like the customers that helped us see that these were issues and and maybe uh, say thank you. So that, that's a great idea. I like that. Well, it's it, you know it's part. It's less about taking credit, and more about um, as advisors have become busy. I mean, I know I've over the years I've been de- I've dealt with service providers where I put in a request either formally written or just right. set it over the phone to somebody, and then months later I'm sitting there going, I wonder if that went anywhere. Did, did <laughs> you know? Did, was it fixed? Maybe I, maybe it wasn't as big of an issue or whatever it is. And so I think um, to the extent you have that team and you're fixing things or addressing them before they become problems, it's a cool thing. Um, That's very cool. It's a great but, idea. Uh, but yeah, that 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 is, you know, and if you peel back kind of the cloak of exceptional service and good service, behind that is something you mentioned earlier, and it's culture. You know, you've gone through some change with, with, uh, with you know, the ownership of the firm. Sure. But I think largely, if I recall, your your management team and a lot of those folks are still still in place. But, you know, what? how would you say, how in sync is your management team with your staff on what the culture is and where you're, where you're marching towards today? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, I, I, we definitely haven't seen any change in culture from the uh, change in who our shareholders are. You know, we, we. Um, for one thing, the management team and I, you know, when we went out and started talking to a few different parties about figuring out who to partner with to, to buy out our early investors, we were just struck by the amazing culture fit that existed with HG. So first and foremost, our cultures were just really compatible. And so um, we, we were very excited to work with them in that regard. But also, you know, look, they're, they're investors at the end of the day. So they're, they're, they're going to play, you know, a, a, a good, strong role at the board level. Um, but they are really investing behind this management team. And so from that perspective, like not a lot has changed internally inside the company. They invested behind our vision and what we're trying to accomplish there. Yeah. But um you know, we call our our culture the nine values culture. Uh, it, it, it's it's named that simply because you know we have nine core values, and they really do define how we operate. And you can actually check them out; they're online at slash values And um, you know, I, it, some of the some of the key values that we talk about we're we're a culture that believes in delighting customers. We're customer obsessed in that way. We're a high communication culture. We 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 do we deliver a high degree of feedback to each other. Mm-hmm. We're a teamwork culture, um, and you know we 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 are a culture that is not actually very hospitable to certain kinds of people. Um, you know, victim mentality folks, uh, narcissists who think it's all about them, right. jerks who tear down others, and mercenaries who don't care about our mission. Those are four different types of people that aren't going to work with any of those, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, look, I, there have been a couple of times that we've made hiring mistakes and we've hired people in those categories. Right. There was one hiring mistake I remember making and I'm like, gosh, I think we went three for four. Okay. So right. we're, we're not perfect in that regard, but we do fix our mistakes when we make those kinds of hiring mistakes. And I like to say, look, 
There are organizations that are made for people who hate their jobs. Go work at the DMV. Okay. Like it's literally made for people who don't like what they do. You're not going to last very long in our culture. If you hate what you do, like we all come to work, we love what we do, you know? And so, so that's a, that's been a big part of who we are. So I thought your question was really interesting. Like, is your management team in sync with your, with your team on that? You know, culture is such an interesting thing because, you know, first and foremost, it is 99% reflection of who you actually are. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, it's very interesting because I sat down and wanted to like double click on our nine values. And we in in early 2020 actually like wrote much deeper, um, you know, words to like describe and articulate each value. It's all there on riskalyze.com slash values. And when we wrote all of that out, we, you know, I circulated that for input with lots of different groups of, of employees because I said, look, you know, we're trying to be like maybe 1% aspirational here, but we're trying to be like 99% reflective of who we actually are. Right. And there were people who came back and they said, make sure that you put in there that we change a lot. And I'm like, well, I mean, do we want that? They're like, I don't care whether we want it or not. That's who we are. We embrace change. Yeah. Like we train, we change very quickly. That's who we are. So yeah, I, I think it's actually very much in sync on our culture. And some of those things are aspirational, but a lot of them are just reflective of who we are. Well, and I heard you say once, Riskalyze is a great place, to, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's a great place to work if you want to make an impact on people's lives. And That's I assume right. by people, you mean your customers, you know, financial advisors and institutions, but also on their clients. So yeah, the American think, investor. To be all in, in all candor, we actually do primarily mean the investor. Mm. And we work backwards yep. from there. I mean, our mission as a company is empowering the world to invest fearlessly. And we do that not directly, but we do that, you know, by by having the opportunity to stand behind amazing financial advisors who really do the hard work of doing that. But ultimately, that is kind of our North Star is that is that, you know, we don't really want to work with financial advisors who want to uh, complicate things for investors who want to keep investors fearful because they think that'll make them more reliant on their advice. Like that's that's really not what our, our mission is. Our mission is empowering the world to invest fearlessly because we think that if we help those financial advisors give their clients a, a short-term framework to understand and react to risk appropriately, that transforms a fearful investor who makes panicked, bad, short-term decisions into right. a fearless investor who makes great short-term decisions. And those great short-term decisions ultimately become the foundation that that amazing financial advisor uses to create those long-term financial outcomes. Yeah. I mean, you look, I mean, look at today um, and depending yep. on when this recording comes out, but just to give our listeners some scope of what's going on, you know, yesterday, this new variant of COVID was, was right. talked about Omicron and how it was going to affect everything. And the mark was off, I think 900 points. The Dow was off 900 Today it's turned around and it's up 300 or what have you. If you know riskalyze isn't there, and, and if the advisors and the customers aren't using it appropriately and everything, maybe you have somebody just completely sell everything yesterday. Totally. And uh, and today wake up and see, wait a second, it's not as bad as we thought, and everybody's <laughs> backing off. And Absolutely. you know, President Biden saying, "Don't you know this is this is for you should be concerned, but you shouldn't you know Panic. you shouldn't be." Uh, you know, be, you know, panicking over this. Yep. And so I look at that and, you know, I think you're right. I mean, to impact the investor with what you're doing and to know that they have an advisor to talk them through it. What a great combo. Yeah, absolutely. 
And I, yeah. I we've we've just never gone wrong by focusing on that outcome for people and then working backwards to figure out the advisors that we want to stand behind. And there's mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's tens of thousands of them across the country that we are so proud to stand behind in the work that they do. And I'm so I I don't know, I just feel so grateful to have had the opportunity to stand behind them through this pandemic because I've gotten to see firsthand the impact that those advisors have made on their clients during this crisis. That's just a really rewarding thing to get to be a small part of. Yeah, absolutely. So in the last few minutes here, I want to talk about Aaron Klein and less okay. about Riskalyze. But but since you named the company Riskalyze, I want to talk to you about the biggest risk you've ever taken. Okay. Personally or or within Riskalyze. I'll take either one. Well, I was going to say coming onto this podcast, but it's just gone so well. You know, so. <laughs> well, we haven't got to the last question yet. Okay. Right? okay, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, I probably the greatest gamble that we took, honestly, with the company uh, back in like 2011, 2012, we were trying to figure out how to build the core risk model. We had, you know, we, we kind of inherited and brought in some patents around how to identify investor risk tolerance. But then we were really figuring out how to build the risk model in a in a in a robust and strong way. And one of the fateful decisions that we ended up making was to build the risk model at the securities level. You know, everybody else has kind of done it at the asset class level. That was a bit of a controversial decision at that time because it was like, well, gosh, like that means that you're committing yourself to building a lot of methodology because different securities behave differently. You have different data that you have for, for you know, different scopes of data that you have for different securities. But at the end of the day, we just really felt like 2008 had taught us, and by the way, 2020 just taught us again, that when markets are under stress, correlations can go to zero, or or, sorry, I would say one, right? All the correlations go to one. And so as a result, you know, you really have to um, think about it more at the individual security level. If you really want to judge how securities are going to behave, you're going to be most accurate if you're looking at the actual data behind those securities. And that has turned into a great moat for our business because we we have a risk model that, you know, big enterprises have looked at and said, you know, if we had to do it over again, we would rebuild everything that we've done to do it this way. You've done it right. We're just going to adopt the riskalyze approach to doing yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting. So um, let me ask you as, as a last question, and I know sure. I've got some listeners out there that are more in in the fintech and SaaS-based side of the business. And they're looking to build a firm that looks like Riskalyze today. And perhaps they they today look like Riskalyze of 10, 15 years ago, right? Sure. Um, what advice would you give a founder or a CEO of a, of a firm like this who's looking to dramatically grow their revenues over over the next five to seven years? I mean, man, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm going to I'm going to just maybe bullet point through a few things that come to mind. One is like get really good advisors around you to give you good advice and um, and, and keep you pointed in the right direction. You know, trust those people and uh, go out there and try to recruit the best and brightest talent to work in your organization. Um, you know, we are not a one man band. That's for darn sure. There are, uh, uh, you know, uh, several hundred very talented people that make Riskalyze what it is today. And um, we could not do it without recruiting the best and brightest talent here. And, you know, ultimately, if you really look at our success, a big part of it was simply having a really strong vision for what we thought 
the you know investor needed to do, what advisors needed to do, what our profession needed to do, and then being flexible on the details of how we got there, but kind of stubborn on that vision. And, you know, ultimately then we just didn't give up. We just kept working at it and working at it. You know, 2011 and 2012 were tough years for us. We had no revenue, no customers, and we were building and testing and iterating, not getting a lot of traction. And it was just consistently listening to what the market was telling us, but staying, you know, flexible about how we were going to get there, but staying stubborn about the vision of where we wanted to go. Um, ultimately, you know, we found the winning formula there and then we were able to just focus on scaling it. It was really about not giving up more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And that's unfortunately what a lot of entrepreneurs do is they give up and, uh, they don't power through. And, uh, so I think that's, that's a great message. Well, Aaron, I've absolutely enjoyed this conversation. I enjoy all our conversations. You've kept my attention. You've, I'm sure awesome. kept everybody on this, on this podcast, their attention as well. Next time I head to Tahoe, definitely want to stop by, Let's have dinner in that uh, that room from 1850. Hopefully, they've updated the menu since then, <laughs> and uh, and we we ought to get together. Let's do it. Thanks. Well, take care, Aaron. Have a happy holiday season. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And thank you for listening to my show today. You can subscribe to Can You Hold My Attention podcast on Apple, Google. Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as through our LinkedIn page with the same name. Have a great day and stay safe.